0: Good evening, everyone. Yes. If we haven't met, hello. It's nice to be in Tuesday Church <clears throat> where the cups are bigger. What's the best thing about being a Christian? I don't know, but uh, you might have heard that question asked, perhaps even at the front of Tuesday Church when someone's being interviewed or you hear it often at Christian conferences. Uh, especially, I think, when there are unbelievers present. Um, what's the best thing about being a Christian? I wonder if I asked you tonight that question, what your answer would be. I wonder if I said to you, you know, right at this moment, what's the best thing about being a Christian? I wonder what your answer might be. It's not that it's a wrong question. Not at all. It's a really good question. It's, it's just that it's a hard question because there are so many great things about being a Christian, don't you think? Maybe? Yes. It's very difficult to just choose one, to choose the best. And so that old hymn that you might know and you're banned from singing it just now, you can sing it over supper later perhaps, but uh, that old hymn, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what the Lord hath done. Maybe that's a better way forward, I think. Rather than choosing the best thing, trying to grasp instead all of the good things, to to somehow try and count the blessings of belonging to Christ. And really, that's what we're attempting to do in this teaching series over the next five weeks. We're going to do some blessing counting uh, together. Had enough of the bean counters? We're going to be blessing counters, which is much more fun. And we're hopefully going to help each other to uh, appreciate what the Lord has done for his people. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God to, uh, I guess, enlarge our imaginations and the eyes of our hearts and minds that we might try and capture, grasp something of all of the blessing that comes to his people in Jesus. So you might like to join me. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we really do thank you. It's a great privilege, Father, to come before you and before your word and to know that as we read your word You speak to us of profound and great things, and particularly tonight with this bit of the Bible open in front of us, with so many just massively great themes and ideas. Father, we really need your help because we really want to take it in. We don't want to just read it and forget. We don't want to read it and somehow miss the grandeur of what we're reading and so, Father, please help us. And I guess tonight, Father, we're, we're dealing with a, with a really big idea that stretches our minds, perhaps even uh, um, uh, makes us worried. Father, we just want to pray that you'd help us tonight to really humble ourselves before your word, to hear you speaking, to trust what you say, and to delight in what you say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, like Bryson mentioned before, to guide us in our blessing counting, we're going to spend some five weeks looking at just one bit of the Bible, these 14 verses of scripture that Anna read for us, and every week we're going to hear them read, and we should get to know the passage pretty well. I'm hoping your Bible might start just flicking open to it automatically, perhaps. It's really worth getting to know this bit of the Bible, because it really is just fantastic. It's not an easy part of the Bible, necessarily, but it is fantastic. And as we turn to it for the first time tonight, have a look at it with me, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. The first thing we read is Paul's introduction of himself as the writer. You can see it there, hopefully, Uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. And then we keep reading and we see who he's written to. And we see it's to the saints and the believers in Christ Jesus at the city of Ephesus. And uh, then we see that he offers them greetings of grace and peace From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we keep on reading, we suddenly find ourselves in the midst of this amazing outburst of praise and thanksgiving. Have a look at it with me in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now you need to notice that blessing is sort of flowing everywhere, okay, in that verse. Paul blesses God uh, for blessing us with every spiritual blessing. Okay, there's blessing going everywhere. And the apostle is overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed with the generosity of God, with the grace and the peace that comes from God to his people. And we'll keep on returning to this point, okay, over the next few weeks. But notice with me now, please, what Paul says there in verse 3. God has blessed every one of his people with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the heavenly realms, he says, in the, in the unseen world of spiritual reality, God has blessed every one of his people with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so can you see that we're in trouble right from the beginning with our series? Because if you belong to Jesus, if you're in Christ, and you try and seek to count your blessings... Well, in actual fact, they're uncountable. There's just so many of them. For God, in his generosity, okay, has blessed you if you belong to Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. By spiritual, the apostle means of the Holy Spirit. He's not referring to material things, physical blessings, although they too, of course, come from God's hand. It's just that they are of this world which is passing away. And the apostles' focus is on something far bigger, far grander than merely material, physical blessing. And our focus ought to be bigger too, of course. For God, see it again, verse 3, God blesses every one of his people with how many? Every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realms, folks, it doesn't get any bigger than that, OK. It cannot get any bigger than that. And yet of course, it's true isn't it, that often in life, you and I feel neglected. There may have been times even today, that you felt a bit ripped off. perhaps even this week, there has been moments where you feel like, felt like you, you are missing out, that we have less than we deserve or at least less than we observe in other people. And, you know, that's why I find these verses so helpful and so challenging, really. Helpful, okay, because notice again there in verse 3, in this outburst of praise and thanksgiving, God is reminding us right now of this great truth that he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's so helpful. But of course, it's very challenging, isn't it? Because day by day, I need to learn how to view my situation from the perspective of this spiritual reality. I can't allow myself to wallow in self-pity because that that, in fact, is completely out of step with reality. How could I possibly feel like I'm missing out when God has blessed me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ? And if you belong to Jesus, the same is true of you. And so perhaps we need a reality refill about the blessings we enjoy from the gracious hand of God. And that's what these verses do in Ephesians 1. They give us a reality refill. They help us to begin perhaps the impossible task of counting our blessings so that we might too join Paul in praising our Saviour God. And you know what? If this this passage from verse 4 onwards, if it was like one of those, uh, a a catalogue, You know, if it was a catalogue of the spiritual blessings that God blesses his people with in the heavenlies, then on the very first page of the catalogue in bright, glossy colour, okay, would be the blessing of election. And that's our focus tonight. We open up this catalogue of blessing and what do we see? It's there in verse four. We see, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, It's the blessing of God choosing his people. It's the blessing of God's election of his people. It's the blessing of God predestining his people. And let me tell you, it is an astonishing blessing. And we thought about this a little bit, didn't we, a, few, a couple of weeks back from 2 Thessalonians. It is an astonishing blessing blessing It's a mysterious blessing, no doubt about it. It's a wonderful blessing. Have a look at the sentence again with me in verse 4. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You read that statement and you recognize, don't you, that that's a statement that reaches way back in time. It reaches way back before even the creation of the universe. It goes way back before Genesis 1. In fact, way, way back before time as we know it even existed. Way, way back into all of eternity past where there was just God, Father, Son and Spirit in perfect loving relationship. And way back there, God the Father chose each one of his people in Christ to be his own, holy and blameless to him. Now, as soon as I describe that, we, it's impossible to get your mind around that, isn't it? It's just too big. Can't quite grasp how that could possibly be. Can't quite grasp before time even. It's beyond even our imagining because our imaginations are bound by our experience. And this is way beyond that. It is astonishing, it is breathtaking, and it is humbling. And what a surprise. What a surprise that it's difficult for us to comprehend. It's not really a surprise, is it? Because we are talking about the inner counsel of God. We are merely creatures and and we are daring to, to ponder into the inner counsel of our majestic and eternal creator. We are like little children peering around the corner at something we don't quite understand. But we know it's wonderful. And all we can really do is stand open mouthed, stunned, delightfully stunned. Because in this passage, okay, God invites us to glimpse the truth that any choice we might have made for God was preceded by God's choice of us. God the Father chose each one of his people in Christ before the creation of the world to be his own, holy and blameless. And so Paul writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise to him. All honour to him because it's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful blessing. But of course it's possible that this truth, this blessing may be more of a problem to you than it is a source of praise. Because tragically, this is one of those doctrines, teachings, that can cause disagreement between believers. This is one of those doctrines that's provoked countless late night conversations over coffee. Christians even get very angry about this one. Maybe you're already feeling a little bit cross with me. Maybe you're already dismissing what I'm saying. But can I say, please don't do that. Because, in fact, this is a critical truth of the Bible to believe. And I actually don't think this is one of those teachings on which we can agree to disagree. Too much is at stake, you see. It may be difficult. It may be mysterious. But it really is vital. Because, inevitably... A failure to believe this truth of God's choosing his people, inevitably a failure to believe that betrays one of two errors. A failure to believe in election or predestination means that you either overestimate the power of humans to choose God for themselves or else you underestimate the control of God over his creation and both are very, very serious errors. And that's why I just want to spend a little bit of time pursuing together any hesitations or doubts we might have because because it matters so much. It matters so much. So I'm going to begin with the sovereignty of God, the control of God over his creation. You don't have to move too far from this uh, passage in Ephesians 1 to set things straight about God's sovereignty because these verses verses 1 to 14 in fact are, are saturated with the sovereignty of God. Let me show you. Hope you're looking at it. Verse five. See what it says. Verse five. He predestined us. Verse five. Again, it says in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse nine. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. And then climactically, really, in verse eleven, have a look at it. Verse eleven. We read in Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, verse 11 is a massive description okay, of the sovereignty, the control of God. God, the God of the Bible, is the one who works out everything, not some things, not most things, but everything, every single thing is worked out by God in accordance with the plan, the purpose of his will. This passage, okay, and especially verse 11, that it doesn't really leave us with a whole lot of room to move. You either believe it or you don't. You either believe that God is in control or you don't. And, of course, as you step back from this passage and you sort of start to take in the rest of the scriptures, you can see that this is an entirely consistent portrait of God. This is the God okay, who rules his creation, who rules even nations, who controls the past and the present and the future, who causes events to happen and not to happen. A God who chooses his his people, who elects those who are to be saved. It's the same God who chose Abraham. It's the same God who chose Jacob and did not choose Esau. It's the same God who chose the Old Testament nation of Israel out of all of the nations of the world. It's the the same God who in Jesus chose 12 disciples. It's the God who, before the creation of the world, chose his people to be his own in Christ. And let me say, this is a glorious truth, and we could only know it if God revealed it to us. We couldn't have figured this one out on, us, on our own, using our own brains. It is beyond human reasoning. It's beyond human speculation. God had to reveal it to us. And so you see, we must take him at his word and believe it. Jesus, I'm going to put some verses on the screen here. Jesus told his disciples in John 6, all that the father gives me will come to me. Or a little bit later, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then in John chapter 15, he said to the disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you. In the book of Acts, Jesus uh, continuing his work through the apostles' uh, ministry, we, we read this explanation of the people's response To the gospel message in Acts 13 we read when the Gentiles heard this the gospel they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed or to the Thessalonian Christians uh, Paul wrote this in his first letter to them for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And like we saw a couple of weeks back in his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote this. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. Friends, God is not a beggar on the sidewalk hoping for people to pass by and drop their lives into his cap. God is not a salesman hoping to attract people to buy his message through clever gimmicks and great promotional deals. God is not a doctor waiting for sick people to wander into his surgery so that he might heal them. God, Father, Son and Spirit, rules his creation. God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And we must be really, really careful That as we approach this topic of election, that we do not underestimate the sovereignty of God. We must be very, very careful that we don't reduce God to a beggar or a salesman or a doctor. Because that's nonsense and it's completely out of step with the scriptures. The wonder of the message of the Bible is that even before the creation of the world, God the Father chose his people in Christ to be his own. It's very important that we don't underestimate God. That is one very serious error that we must avoid in all of this. And the other error to avoid, remember, I mentioned two. The other error to avoid is to overestimate human ability, in particular to overestimate the ability of a human person to choose God for themselves. And, and you know, to me, to me this, is the, this is the great wonder, the great cause of praise for the blessing of election. For you see, unless, unless God had chosen me, I could never, ever have chosen him. Never, ever. And that's really clear. If we were to keep on reading on Ephesians and into chapter 2. So turn your page if you need to. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's have a look at it together. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is describing the human condition. Let me read it. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You check those verses out again for yourself and you'll see they are a really dark, bleak, hopeless, true picture of humanity apart from Christ. Paul is there reminding his Gentile readers of what they once were before they came to Christ. Can you see what he says about them? They were dead. They were spiritually dead. Notice they weren't just spiritually sick. They weren't sort of wandering around trying to find the truth. They weren't sort of wandering around holding out their hand to God for his help, for his rescue. They were dead. And let me tell you, friends, when you are dead, you are incapable of doing anything for yourself. When you are dead, there is nothing within you. There is no spark waiting to come alive. There is no potential for human life. You are dead. And Paul says, Look, that's what you Gentiles were before you became Christian. And hey, it wasn't just you Gentiles. It was us Jews as well, Paul says. See in verse 3, verse 3, he says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. By nature, in our very essence, our core We were objects of wrath, of judgment, of God's anger. We were spiritually dead. And so here's the question for us, folks, okay? How could anyone who is spiritually dead, how could anyone who by nature is an object of wrath, how could anyone like that be saved? And the answer, you see, must rest entirely in God. The answer cannot be in any way be found in the person themselves because they're dead. The answer to how they could be saved can only rest in God. And that's where Paul turns next in verse four of chapter two. Have a look at it with me and notice the first word because it's a cracker. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We've got to ponder the wonder of those words deep in our souls, brothers and sisters. God makes his people alive. God breathes life into dead people. God mercifully regenerates spiritually dead people God makes his people alive in Christ. And as soon as you see the truth of that, and how can you avoid it so plain there? As soon as you see the truth of it, you are seeing, you see, that God had to make a decision. God had to make a choice as to who he would make alive. Because clearly not everyone is saved. Clearly not everyone believes. And so God must have made a choice. And so the question becomes not did he choose or not, but when did he make that choice? And back in our passage, chapter 1 and verse 4, the answer is there. He made the decision before the creation of the world. It's not a decision based on merit. If it were, he certainly wouldn't have chosen me. And I'm telling you, he wouldn't have chosen you or anyone. Because in our very essence, we were, nature, we were, by, we were objects of his wrath, his judgment. And it wasn't a decision based on knowing in advance that somehow I would move towards him, that somehow I would reach out for him. It wasn't as if God knew in advance that I would seek him because I wouldn't have. I couldn't have. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. And so you see, it must be all of God's grace. It's got to be all of God's grace. In the words of verse 7 in Ephesians 2. Verse 7, Ephesians 2. All of this, okay, all of it was to show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase, incomparable riches, because that's true, isn't it? Incomparable riches of his grace. Or in the words of verse 6, back in Ephesians 1, verse 6 of Ephesians 1, it was all to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You see, friends, the blessing of election, it swings the spotlight away from us onto where it belongs, onto God himself, that he might be glorified. It's all to display the incomparable riches of his grace. It's all to the praise of his glorious grace. It's all to the praise of his glory. But you might be wondering now, hang on, Paul. I remember making a decision to follow Christ. And I can remember people here within DPC um, being invited to make a decision for Christ. And I can think of times in the Bible where Christ himself calls on people to follow him, to make a decision to follow him. So surely there's got to be a human decision involved in someone becoming a Christian. And the answer is, of course there is. Of course there is. And nothing that I'm saying denies that and nothing that I'm saying undermines it. In fact, Paul believed that. Check out verse 13 of Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. He says to these guys in Ephesus, and you also were included in Christ when? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. See what he's saying there, he's saying, look, There was that time, remember, when you heard the gospel of Jesus proclaimed to you guys and then you believed it. And that was the moment you were included in Christ. That's the moment you became a Christian. But here's the thing, okay? This is the bit to catch. The only way, the only way they could have responded in such a way with faith and repentance, the only way they could have responded like that was was if God had enabled them to do so. God must have opened the eyes of their heart to the truth because they were dead. And so God made a choice to do that for them. And that choice occurred before the creation of the worlds. Now, does that make their response any less genuine? No, not according to the Bible. And this is where there certainly is mystery for us. Can't get around it. We can't quite get our heads around how God's sovereignty and human responsibility fit together. How can both be real and true? That's hard for us. But you know what? The clear, consistent testimony of the Bible is that they do. And I can't explain it, but I can describe it like this, that God is so sovereign. God is so sovereign, okay, that he can sovereignly act in such a way that he doesn't quench our genuine decision-making and choosing. God is so sovereign that his sovereignty can work itself out in the very real, genuine choosing and decision-making of human people. That's sovereign. And again, can I say, are we really surprised that our finite minds can't quite penetrate how that might all work, that we can't quite penetrate God's infinite power? Folks, here's the thing. The foundation of any human positive choice for God is always, must always be, the prior choice of them by God. Remember the words of Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Because they're dead. Remember the description of people coming to faith in the book of Acts. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honoured the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Brothers and sisters, there is mystery here. I'm not denying it for a moment. There is deep mystery. And I know too that our hearts are troubled by the fact that if God chooses some, then he therefore does not choose others. And we cannot get around that. But can I suggest, please, that the deepest mystery of election is not that God would choose some and not others. The greater, more glorious mystery is that God would choose anyone at all. Because that, that's the astonishing truth. That God would choose anyone at all. That God would choose just one rebel to save. That would be astonishing. And yet he chooses a countless multitude from every tribe and language and nation. Every single one of them, spiritually dead people, followers of the ways of this world, followers of the, de- of the devil, people who seek only to gratify their sinful desires, people who by nature are objects of God's right wrath because of their evil rebellion, people like the Ephesians, people like you, people like me. And that is the blessing of election. That is the blessing of election. That God the Father chose each one of his people in Christ before the creation of the world, to be his own, holy and blameless to him. And it is all to the praise of his glorious, incomparable grace. And so, brothers and sisters, in counting this blessing, can I I suggest just two responses? The first one is, humble thanksgiving. Because that little song is right, isn't it? Our God is so very 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 big and you know what he's not only very very big he's very very gracious and so this blessing should stun us into subdued humble thanksgiving thank you father i don't quite fully grasp it there are some things that trouble me a little a little bit about it but thank you for choosing to save me from death and judgment humble thanksgiving. The second response may be a little more surprising, perhaps. But this blessing of election should stir us into zealous, loving outreach to our friends who are not yet saved. I wonder if that surprises you. Perhaps you might have expected the opposite. But the Apostle Paul, you know, who wrote these words before us, there was a time when he was in the city of Corinth, and it seems he might have been growing fearful or despondent in his evangelism You know, he was trying to do the uh, each one reach one and he was getting despondent. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And here's what the Lord said to him. The Lord said, do not be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Catch it. The encouragement for Paul in his outreach was that the Lord had many people in that city. In other words, that the Lord had chosen many people in that city. And so Paul stayed there for a year and a half, teaching the word of God. Friends, we believe that God has many people in this city of Dubbo. And people come to Jesus as the Father draws them. That's our hope and our confidence in evangelism. That's why we pray, because if it was down to us, okay, if it was down to us and how good we could explain the gospel, how well better we could explain the gospel. if It was down to our ability to be able to answer the questions. You know, this this person may well be a Christian if I answer the question right. I couldn't sleep at night, could you? That'd be a terrible, terrible thing. How could anyone be saved then if it was down to us? But you see, because of the blessing of election, because God, before the creation of the world, chose his people, and because now, through the preaching of the gospel, God's sovereign purposes are working themselves out in the lives of individual people, that's why, with zeal and love, we can share the good news of Christ Jesus. And we can watch God do his work of drawing people to the sun. Humble thanksgiving. Zealous, loving outreach are two responses that the blessing of election should call forth from us. Brothers and sisters, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you know what? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we're pondering deep, difficult things tonight. And uh, we're glad of your help, the help of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we want you, please, to... Open the eyes of our hearts and our minds that we might truly grasp your grandeur, the depth of your grace, the wonder of your salvation. Father, please make us humble and thankful. And fill us, Father, with zealous love to see people hear the good news of Jesus. And Father, may it be your grace and your sovereignty which drives us. We thank you, Father, for the incomparable riches of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.